Welcome everyone to Kingdom Rock Radio. We pray that you will enjoy today's message. Now here's a sample of what you'll be hearing today. You say, well, I'm not sure how much sin is really in me, how, how deep its tentacles are in me. So the Lord said, hey, here's a law. Uh, don't commit adultery. Uh, don't, don't covet. When he said the law, when he told you what not to do, then you saw how sin was really in you, its control over your life, because now you really wanted to do it even though you didn't want to do it. Kingdom Rock Radio is an outreach ministry of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center located right here in Bremen, Georgia. You can connect with us at our website at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's message. Kingdom Rock, let's welcome our online community. Welcome. Welcome. Wherever you are all around the world, we thank you so much for being a part of today's service. We know that the Lord has a rich and relevant word that will inspire you, that will enrich your walk with Christ. Thank you for being a part of today's service. And I want to remind you, go to our website at kingdomrock.org, kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can also give into the ministry. And let me just encourage you to give. When you give, people live. When you give, people live. So I want to encourage you to give into the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're being blessed by this ministry, definitely uh, consider a rich financial gift uh, to go into the ministry. We'll, we're currently building our new media facility, and we could definitely use your help. So why don't you log on today at kingdomrock.org, kingdomrock.org, and give your best gift today. We'd be so grateful for you. God bless you. All right, everybody, we're going to go into a part two of the message that we started on last week uh, entitled The Adam Effect, The Perfect Substitute, The, the Adam Effect. So if you were not able to hear uh, last week's message, part one, go to the website and definitely do that. And uh, it's already available on the website as well. So we're going to part two today of the Adam effect. And we're going to start here actually in Romans, the fourth chapter. We're going to back up a little bit because I want to give you some context. We're going to go to Romans, the fourth chapter. We're going to first talking about Abraham, the, the blessing of Abraham. What is the blessing of Abraham? And how does that relate to the Adam effect? Well, we're going to see it. Uh, so we have here um, Romans, the fourth chapter. I'm going to be just doing a little bit of reading. Romans 4, verses 18 through 25 out of the New Living Translation. You can turn this down just a little bit, just getting a little bit of feedback there. So Romans, the fourth chapter, verse 18 through 25 says this. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Now, hold this for a second. All right, still a little bit too loud for me, okay? Still just a little bit too loud. It's a little bit distracting. Abraham was 100 years old. And he knew. He knew the promise of God. There was nothing physically that would shout, you're going to have a baby. All right? But he believed God anyway. Look at verse 20. Abraham never wavered. In believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And, and in this, he brought glory to God. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God, was, that God is able to do whatever he promises. Verse 22, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. You hear that? Because of his faith, God counted him as righteous. Verse 23, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Verse 25, 
He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Now remember that verse 25. He was handed over or delivered, King James says, I believe. He was delivered for our offenses. He was handed over because of our sins. And he was raised that we, be, that we may be made right with God. He was raised to make us right with God. Now, let's go to Romans, the fifth chapter. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says here, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. You see this? Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. And you can underline that, circle that. Because you've been made right by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you now have peace with God. You now possess peace with God. It says, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now, we have peace with God and we now stand in undeserved, this undeserved privilege. So in other words, we now stand in grace. Because of what Jesus has done, we have peace with God. And I'll show you another dimension of what that actually means today. We have peace with God. That's so wonderful. And we now stand, we rest in his grace. His undeserved, unmerited favor. Now let's go down, same Romans 5th chapter. Let's go down to verse 17, 17 through 21. Verse 17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. So from here on out, I want you to understand one of the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice, of God sacrificing a son on your behalf, was that Jesus delivered you from the rule, from the dominion, from the power of sin, and he also delivered you from the penalties and the effects of sin. Now understand that sin was the very thing that kept you out of your inheritance. Is the very thing that kept man out of the Garden of Eden, kept man out of everything that was good, just, and right. Sin was the great divider. The Lord delivered you from its power, its authority, its rule over your life. Let's look at it. And so it says again, uh, verse 18, no, verse um, 17, uh, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph. Where triumph there can also be interpreted as rule or reign. You're going to live in triumph over sin and death through this one, through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. We talked about Christ's one act on last week. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many, many became sinners. King James says many were made sinners. Because Adam disobeyed God, many were made sinners or became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many were made righteous. We've talked about this before. The only thing you did to be called a sinner in the courts of heaven was to be born. You were born with the bloodline of Adam. Blood, or rather, Adam's sin is in your DNA. You were already born a lawbreaker. By the courts of heaven, there was a sentence already over your life. Lawbreaker, already sinner. 
And the older you got, the more we see the effects of sin. Sin, you were born under the rule, the reign, and the dominion of sin. And because we were under its dominion, its control, its rule, we couldn't help but sin. Are you hearing me? All right. So it says again in um, uh, verse number 18, again, many were because of Adam's sin, many were made sinners or became sinners. But because of what Jesus did, his one act of obedience, we're also made righteous. Meaning the only thing you did to deserve this righteousness was to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And God, through Christ, made you righteous. Now, because you were made a sinner or made righteous, those words are passive to you. It was done to you. You didn't do it. It was done to you. Right? If I had if I called one of you up right now and if I had this big bottle of uh, Gatorade or what have you and it's after a game and it's got plenty of ice in it, just like they do at the end of a football game, and I poured this to you, I did this to you, you were the recipient. Ugh. Right? You did no work but... Ugh. Right? The one who's pouring did the work. God did the work upon you. You received the work when you believed in Christ Jesus. You were made righteous. Now, again, these are all legal terms. I told you before that heaven is a very legal, very litigious place. God does everything decent and in order. You were legally made righteous in the sight of God. It cannot be refuted and it cannot be taken away. Are you hearing? So let's go on. Verse 20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Stop right there for a second. God gave the law to reveal sin, to manifest the sin. God gave the law so that you could see how sinful you really were, how people could, so that people could see how sinful they really were. Now understand this because the Lord took me even deeper in this. Ralphie took me even deeper in this. This is what he dealt with me about. He said, I gave the law so that you could truly see the reign or the rule of sin over your life. You say, well, I'm not sure how much sin is really in me, how, how deep its tentacles are in me. So the Lord said, hey, here's a law. Uh, don't commit adultery. Uh, don't, don't covet when he said the law, when he told you what not to do, then you saw how sin was really in you, its control over your life, because now you really wanted to do it even though you didn't want to do it. Thus showing you how deep this was in your life. Paul gave voice to this before he was born again. In uh, Romans chapter 7, he began to say, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. The things I really want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, that I find myself doing. And then he says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God my Lord Jesus Christ has done it. He said, I gave you the law so that you would truly see the depths of sin's control over your life. That you are really controlled and ruled by it. Without Jesus, we are creatures that are ruled by sin, dominated by sin. Are you hearing me? So he said, I gave you the law so that you could see how, so that you could really see uh, the rule or the dominion of sin over your life. So you can see the, the degree of control it has over you. Are you hearing me? Just give you an example of the rebellious nature that's in sin, whether you want to know it or not. The rebellious nature that is there within it. Again, the moment somebody tells you not to do something, that's when you really want to do it. Don't touch that wall. Don't do that. Oh, it's like I told you to put your fingers everywhere now. That's the rebellious nature of it. And see, the proof of this, the application of this is that 
we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds because I'll show you today emphatically in the word of God that Jesus has crushed the dominion of sin. He has completely destroyed its rule and its power and its ability to dominate and control you. Now, it will still harass you, but it no longer has legal right to control you. That must be declared over your life. When the enemy comes a knocking with that same old mess, no, 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 Jesus has broken its power. I don't have to obey that. I don't have to give in to that. I don't have to obey my flesh. I don't, I'm not debtor to my flesh to obey it in the lust thereof. No, I belong to another. Are you hearing? And so, again, verse 20 says, God's law was given so that people, so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. King James says, as sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In other words, grace crushed the rule of the enemy. Where sin tries to pick his head up and exert rulership or dominion over you, grace crushed its power and control. It's this is about rule. It's about the dominion. It's not just about the act of sin, but it's about the authority that sin tried to exert over your life, saying, I'm going to control you. I'm going to rule you. You're going to do this. You say, W, you better get up out of here right now in Jesus' name. I know my covenant. Are you hearing me? I am no debtor to the flesh to obey it in the lust thereof. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, and so as sin, what? Ruled. And so as sin ruled over all people and brought death, rather than brought them uh, to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you hearing? Oh, my goodness. So Jesus destroyed the power or the rule or or the dominion of sin. Sin was everything that kept us out of the promises of God. Sin kept us out of favor with God. So when Jesus, when the Father destroyed sin's power through the power of his cross, he restored you to all favor. Now you have an all-access pass in the presence of God. There is nothing withheld from you now. Are you hearing Look at Romans 6. Romans 6, verse number 14 tells you again. For sin shall not, out of the King James Version, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under law. You are under grace. You are not serving under law. Remember, the law gives sin its power. The strength of sin is the law. When Jesus delivered you from the law, he delivered you from the dominion of sin. Are you hearing me? Sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, I want to show you something because Jesus prophesied about this in uh, John the 8th chapter, John 8, verses 31 through 36. I want to read this to you out of the Amplified Bible, uh, Tamara, because I love the way it reads. Are you with me? John 8, verse 31 through 36 says this. So uh, Jesus was, was saying to the Jews, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, continually obeying my teaching and living in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth regarding salvation and the truth will set you free from the penalty of sin. 
They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Verse 34, Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, anyone or rather everyone who practices sin, what? Habitually is a slave of sin. In other words, they're under the rule and dominion of sin. Now, again, sin has the ability to control a soul. Sin has the ability to rule and dominate a soul. It'll make you steal from people that you love. It'll make you turn your back on somebody that you love. It makes husbands cheat on wives, wives cheat on husbands. It makes best friends break apart and hate each other. Are you with me? Sin will cause you to lose all your money. Go, go farther than you were intending to go. Stay longer than when you were intending to stay. Get you involved in something that you regret that you ever got involved in. So Jesus said, I've come to crush that power. And he says, boys, y'all don't understand. He said, if you continue my word, then all you my disciples are need, and you're going to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What, what do you mean? We've never been a slave. Boys, don't you understand? You are a doggone slave right now. You in bondage with invisible chains. I've come to break those invisible chains of bondage. You're a slave. Behind invisible bars, you are a slave to your desire, a slave to your appetite, a slave to something that can never be quenched. Doesn't matter how many naked people you see, you're still going to want to see another one. Remember, the man that is drunk doesn't drink because he's thirsty. He drinks because he's empty. You can drink up the whole liquor store and still want some more. Flesh can never be satisfied. You can do all the drugs you want to. Hash it up. Brown Betty. Mary Lou, whatever they call it. Mary Jane. The marijuana. Whatever it is, huh? It's all there. You can have as much as you want. You're still going to want more. Flesh can never be satisfied. And as long as sin sits on the throne of your life, ruling over you, you'll never get ahead in life. You'll always be robbed. You'll always be dominated. Always be confused. Always be bewildered. But when we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus crushes the power of sin, the rule of sin. And grace then begins to rule and reign in your life. Are you hearing me? So he lets them know anyone who, who perpetually or, or anyone who uh, practices, practices sin uh, habitually is a slave of sin. Verse 35 now, the slave does not remain in a household forever. The son of the master does remain forever. Verse 36. So if the son makes you free, then you are unquestionably free. What is Jesus making you free from? From the slavery of sin, from the control of sin, from the rule of sin. Anybody getting this? from the very thing that causes your life to be brought to hell, that causes you to be defrauded and robbed, that robs relationships, that robs you of financial blessings, that robs you of wealth, that robs you of possessions, the very thing that could jack up your credit. It's sin. Are you hearing me? Jesus not only delivered you, again, from the rule of sin, but he also delivered you from the effects of sin, from the penalty of sin. Let me show you this in Colossians, and I believe coming up soon you'll hear uh, one of Minister Scott's message as he wraps up the series on 
uncovering Satan. You're going to hear this verse there. I want you to prepare. This come, goes right along here, so I want you to hear it as well here. Colossians, the second chapter, verse 13, 14, and 15. I want you to see this. See what God did for you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See what he did, what he accomplished for you. I want you to see this. Now, I know you got your thinking caps on, right? All right. Colossians, the second chapter. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. There is, there are two graces that are available to you. There is, I mean, among others, but two that I'm seeing right now. There is the uh, grace or anointing that God has given you to receive his word. And when you're receiving his word, his word is so clear, so easy to understand. It is so clear. You say, I got it. I understand that. I got that. That's the anointing of God, the grace of God, or the anointing of God, we can say, to receive. You got it. Not everybody has that. Don't take it for granted that when the word of God comes forth, this supernatural spiritual word, God breathed, God, God revelation when it comes to you and you can understand and you can, you can see it as plainly, don't take that for granted. There is an anointing there for you to receive. But there is also an anointing for you to teach. You must also teach it. See, I don't have anybody to teach too. There's somebody in your life that you can teach too. Somebody in casual conversation, maybe if it's not a, a, a friend or family member, there's someone, someone that will need to hear this information and the Holy Spirit will bring it up to you at that moment. This is why he tells you, to, hey, I want you to take notes. This is why he tells you, I want you to write this down because you've got to get it in you. And in fact, I will say that if you can't teach it, you really didn't get it. If you can't teach me, uh, I tell you, April is a great trainer. She trains people there and that, and that uh, human resources stuff and payroll stuff, so forth and so on. But the full proof of her teaching ability is when she teaches it to one person and then she goes off, she goes back into corporate place and in the corporate world, she's taught them and then they have to teach someone else what they learn from her. When knowledge passes to the second and third generation, you got something. You've got something. But if you say, I got it, but I don't know how to explain it to you, you really don't have it. Keep on digging until you get it. And when you got it and you can teach it, you got it. So again, you are taught to teach. You are fed to feed. You are comforted to bring comfort to others. So as we gather together in this place of learning, the Lord is instructing teachers to teach. And unless you can impart it, you really didn't get it. There is an anointing to receive, but there's also an anointing to teach. Yes. Are you hearing? Yes. Colossians, the second chapter. I'm so very proud of all of you, by the way. Did I tell you that? I'm so very proud of you. So very, very proud of you. So very proud. In a good way. Good pride. Let's bring it on back in. Colossians, the second chapter. Let me read verses 13, 14, and 15. 13 for context. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, here's the first state. You were dead. You were dead in your sin. Dead in sin. Now, again, I told you before, heaven is a very litigious place. It's very, very law, very legal place. The Lord does things decent and in order. In order for him to do one thing, he has to do something else. God just can't uh, forgive you just because he loves you. He has to put things in order, has to put things in place. If you go into a court of law and the judge sits on the bench and he knows and you're up for something, let's say you got a speeding ticket and there are other people there in the courtroom 
person gets up and the judge sees him. Oh, hey, oh, Johnny, how you doing? Everybody doing good there? You were going how fast? Ooh, 100 miles an hour in the 30 mile. Woo. It's all right, Johnny. I love you. I'll see you tonight for dinner, okay? You go on now. Don't worry about it. The next person gets up. Oh, he let that go. He let me go, too. He let me go. All right, how fast are you going, sir? You were going, what, 40 miles an hour in a 30? Hmm. You got a $500 fine, and uh, there'll be some jail time for you. Bailiffs, take them on the way. You say, man, you are unfair. You are partial. A partial judge is an unjust judge. Your God is not unjust. So everything has to be in order. In order for him to make a ruling, and that ruling stick, and that ruling to be enforceable, it has to be in order. All right, so going back now. Verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses, or in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Wait a second. God, how are you going to make me alive with him? I know you love me and all, but where's the law? What did you do to raise me up with Christ and make me alive? In order for this to be legal. Now, my eternal soul is, uh, is at stake here. I need to know, is this a legal transaction? Are you hearing me? He said, uh, verse 13 again, And you, being dead in your trespasses, or that is to say sins, and the uncircumcision, uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, that is with Christ. How do you do it? Having forgiven all, forgiven you all your sins or your trespasses. Okay, okay, we see now the legal precedent now. All right, uh, he made me alive with Christ, because he forgave me of all my sin. Hallelujah. Awesome. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. But how did you forgive me of all my sin? I understand how you brought me back to life. You forgave me. Okay, what precedent do you have of forgiving me? What did you do? Let's look, on, look further down. He says, having forgiven you of all sins or all trespasses, how did he forgive me? Having wiped away or wiped out... The handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Stop for a second. He said, I forgave you because I wiped out the handwriting of requirements. King James says the handwriting of ordinance. What is the handwriting of requirements? What is the handwriting of ordinance? We're going to spend a little bit of time there in understanding what this is. Because once you can understand this, you'll understand God's legal. He legally forgave you, and he legally brought you back to life, and he legally gave you right standing with him. Are you hearing me? So what is the handwriting requirements? Handwriting requirements is is a handwritten note, especially back in Bible times. A handwritten note acknowledging debt, acknowledging the debt. I know you owe it. You know you owe it. This is a handwritten paper, let's say like this. Acknowledging debt, your name is on that paper. You owe this. Handwriting of ordinance or or handwriting of requirements, again, a handwritten note acknowledging the debt. It is also, catch this, it is also a certificate of debt. A certificate of debt which confirms that the debt is delinquent. This confirms your debt is delinquent. It confirms that it is valid, that it is legally enforceable. A certificate of debt also says that there are no barriers, no bars for the collection of this debt. There's nothing legally to stop me from getting my stuff. When someone defaults on their home, their mortgage, that the bank can render a certificate of debt 
and then they can go after that house legally. Put you out of, put them, not you, put them out of the house legally. Right? When someone defaults on their auto loan, then the, the, the lien holder has legal recourse. They can legally go before the court legally. There, there's no bars. There's, there's no restrictions on them going to collect on that debt. They can legally put all your stuff out or take your stuff if it's in the car, take it with them too. Right? They can legally do that. There's nothing legally stopping them from enforcing this. So the handwriting of ordinance or the handwriting of requirements is a legal document saying that you owe. This is a legal debt you owe. Now it's also a bond. It can also be a bond exacting either payment or penalty because of something, because of a law that's been violated or a contract that's been violated. It is a bond exacting payment. Either you pay me, you can't. All right, then here's punishment. I want punishment. You have to satisfy this debt. It doesn't just go away. Debts just don't go away. Something has to satisfy it. In a legal court, something has to satisfy this debt. Are you hearing me? So this debt is enforceable. It's enforceable. And if they can't pay it, then they must pay the penalty for it. If they can't pay or bring restitution, then there must be punishment, either payment or punishment. Payment or punishment. Now, we said is it, is it, it is enforceable. Let's finish reading this for a second. Verse 14 says, Having wiped out the, the handwriting of requirement or that certificate of debt, legal certificate of debt, that was against us, or that which was hostile against you, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Yes. Now listen, we said that this debt is enforceable, right? Mankind, prior to Christ, if they have not received Christ in their life, they still have quite a debt that is enforceable in the courtroom of heaven. This debt says you owe God. And there is someone in the court of heaven that hates your guts. He is constantly within the court of heaven saying, judge, you're supposed to be a just judge. They owe you this debt. They owe this debt so they must be punished. They can't pay it. This is a debt that cannot be paid. So I declare right now in this court that so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, they deserve death. They deserve punishment. They deserve it because I have this legal document that, and I can enforce this in the court. Bad stuff is going to happen to them because of this debt that I have. It is enforceable. I want their house now. I want their car now. I want their health now. I want their job now. I want their money now. It is legally enforceable, judge. And you cannot be partial. You're going to be unjust, God. Yeah, I know you love them, God. But I got this. I know what they did. Are you hearing me? So we go back and it says we were once dead and God brought us alive because he forgave us. How did he forgive us? He wiped out the handwritten note. He wiped it out when he nailed it to Christ on the cross in a public area. Christ was crucified publicly. He nailed it to Christ upon the cross. 
that Christ fully satisfied this debt. When he nailed it to Christ upon the cross, Christ took it upon himself and in himself and he bore the penalty of our sins. He took it into himself and he went into the lower parts of the earth and he burned that debt up in fire. It no longer exists. It no longer exists. This is why verse 15 is so powerful. Verse 15 talks about the principalities that kept putting that paper in God's face and say, you ought to curse them. You ought to this, you ought to that. Verse 15 says, having disarmed. Come on now. I'm sorry. God disarmed the enemy. He took that out of the way. He kept accusing you. He kept accusing you. He kept accusing you. God said, give me that now. Shut up and sit down. He disarmed the principalities and the powers. He made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them in it. Publicly. Publicly made a show of them. You got nothing on my children anymore. You got nothing on them. You got nothing. He kept coming to the presence of God talking about how you deserve bad things and how you deserve to be sick and how you deserve to be broke and how you deserve never to get ahead because of this paper. This paper says this is legally enforceable. This handwriting, this handwritten note This mosaic law, this is enforceable, and they broke it. They sure can't pay for it, God. So that must mean they must be punished. I said, give me that paper. I'm going to nail it to my son on the cross. Because he's the Adam. Everyone that believes in him and that are born of him. The debt is paid. In this, the father disarmed all those, all those, all those demonic lawyers, all those demonic agents that came up and always accused you before the Lord day and night. God said, I've taken it out of the way. I wiped it out. I wiped it out. Now the devil's depending on your ignorance. On your ignorance. Because he can get a copy of what was once there. Or he may remember what was once there. And tells you. Hey, you remember what you did? So and so, so and so. You know, you messed up. And then we say, yeah, I messed up. You know, you're wrong, didn't you? You're wrong, weren't you? Yeah, I was wrong. I didn't do that. All right, God. You see, he admitted himself. He admitted himself. He admitted, oh, I don't deserve this. Maybe I'm supposed to be sick. All right, he heard it out of his own mouth. And you put, it, put yourself right back under that bondage. The enemy is depending on your ignorance. Because when you're ignorant, you agree with him. And you put yourself back under a debt that has already been paid. Are you seeing this today? The Bible says that in in, um, Romans 6 chapter, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. It is enforceable. But, you know we love the, you know we love that but. The best things can come after that but. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you hearing? God paid it all. Let me read this for you out of the Amplified Bible. I'm going to just bring it to you out of the Amplified Bible. Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15. I love the way it says it here. This is going to further back up, and I pray it, it further convinces you as well. Colossians 2, chapter, verse 14 and 15 out of the Amplified Bible says, Having canceled out... The certificate of debt 
consisting of legal demands which were in force against us, which were hostile to us. And this certificate he has set aside and completely removed by nailing it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural uh, forces of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. Isn't that wonderful? The handwriting of ordinance that was against you. This legal document that said you owed, you no longer owe. Jesus took the full responsibility for your sins, for your debt. Remember, people say, I don't believe a loving God can send people into hell. I don't believe that God would send people to hell. I don't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. I just don't believe it. When people go to hell, they go because they want to go. The price has already been paid. God has already proven how far he's willing to go for you. So when they go, they go because they want to. The Father's arms are open wide to receive all. But they reject him. I don't want no Jesus. There is no God, as a matter of fact. I don't want any of this. When they die and they stand before him and they truly see there is, in fact, a God, they truly see that Jesus really is his Christ, but they spent all their life rejecting him, they're not going to change their mind when they see him. Because again, I tell you, what you are is what you are. Even when you see evidence before you, you're not going to magically change your mind and say, I want you now. Oh, I want you now. You spent your whole life saying, I don't want God to go into, the, to go into a place that is full of God. And think that you're going to be comfortable there. I believe the Lord would allow you to come on in. Come on in. But you wouldn't stay there. Because heaven will be more, more painful to a soul that is unready for it. Than hell would be. Let me say that again. Heaven would be more painful to a soul that is not prepared. Than the fires of hell. Why do I say that? God is absolute light, absolute holiness, absolute righteousness. And here we are coming up in there, filthy, dirty, with all this sinful mess all in us. Your sins have not been taken away because you've rejected the one that could take them away. And so you die with all that in you, all that unrighteousness, all that death, all of that stuff, all in you, walking into a place that's absolute light, absolute holiness, absolute godliness. You're going to feel comfortable there? That place is going to be horrible and terrifying to that soul. And hell would be more of a comfort. For some people, hell would be an act of mercy. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Please don't think the devil is all scary, scary. You've not seen the other side of God. Think about it. If you know you've done something wrong, you wrong somebody that you love, and you got to go and face them. Does that feel good? No. You've lied to them, and they found out that you lied. And now you got to go look them in the face, and you got to confront that. Does that feel good? Now, that's just you and me. But imagine doing that before God. Imagine how uncomfortable that's going to get before God. You think it's uncomfortable now before another human? You've not felt the uncomfortableness before God. 
the sheer torment and torture would be to stay in that state for an eternity. Oh, God. For an eternity. Hell would be a comfort than to have the eyes of God. So the Lord said, hey, I can take all that away from you. I can take your dead completely away. I can take your sin completely away from you. No problem. Believe in my son. He's already paid the price for you. Come on home. My son prepares you. My spirit prepares you to come in this atmosphere where I am. He prepares you. So come on. But if we live our lives in rejection of that, and then expect, yeah, God will let you in. I have no problem. But will you want to stay in? That's the other issue. That's the issue. Father, we thank you for this word you've given us today. Lord, I pray today that you would confirm your word with signs and wonders following. Lord, I pray for the anointing to teach and for the anointing to impart. For Father... You are good. Yes. And you've always been good. You're merciful. You are just. Your mercy knows no bounds. Your justice knows no bounds. Your grace knows no bounds. You're willing that all would be saved. You're willing that everyone would come to heaven. Everyone. But, Father, we are not willing. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be willing to participate in your plan of salvation by inviting Jesus in our heart as our Lord and our Savior, putting our faith and trust in him, repenting of our sins, and turning to him before it is too late. And I thank you, Lord, that we will enjoy this other side of life. And I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that you that you give us to prepare us, who will lead us into all truth and who will show us things to come, who, who will prepare us for our journey home with you and prepare us to live now and walk our, our assignment here on this earth. Lord, I ask you to bless your people. Bless your people from far and wide. Bless everyone that is here today. And Lord, I release this word by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends. See you next time. Well, we pray that you were blessed and encouraged by today's message. Don't forget, you can connect with us at our website at kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can hear today's message as well as the entire series. So check it out today. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We'll see you on the next time.